over $105 million a day. That is how much the Australian people pay to fund our defence force. Now, this doesn't take into account the $90 billion program to update our naval fleet with modern submarines, or the $17 billion on 72 F-35 stealth fighter jets, or the millions we will eventually spend to maintain them after we've bought them. But suffice to say, it costs a lot of money to defend this nation and protect its people. Now, before you fade out, I want you to understand what this video is not. I am not here to try and convince you that there is no real threat to Australia or our way of life. Quite the opposite. Let me be unequivocal. I believe that in the ensuing decades, Australia's sovereignty is about to be challenged more than at any moment since the threat of Japanese military invasion in the Second World War. Why? Well, I understand so much of what the world is experiencing right now is unprecedented, but there is historical context. Europe and much of the Western world in, in 1920s and 1930s saw a collection of nations dust themselves off from a bloody regional conflict, an emotionally scarring global pandemic, and a global recession that had never been experienced before. The very merits of democracy and liberty were being openly debated by intelligent minds, as, as populations quite understandably, found themselves despondent and alienated by a system that had unquestionably let them down. Now, but remember, fascism didn't arrive in Germany and Italy within a brigade of tanks. The brutality of communism was not enforced upon the Russian people by a foreign power. The dismantling of these, albeit fledgling, freedoms that existed within these states was born from the discontent within. Remarkably, this was not entirely lost on the leaders of Western democracy at the time. Much of what we now know as the, the welfare state is the result of policies enacted by capitalist leaders as a national defence against fascism and communism. The nationalisation of industries and, and the support of unionism in Western Europe is interpreted by some historians as something of a concession to the working class, an attempt to placate the discontent within their borders not with force or propaganda, but an admission that the state could do more for its people. And even in the bastion of laissez-faire capitalism, the United States, one of the most popular presidents in their history, guided his people through its hitherto unseen moment of crisis, not by fighting back the armies of fascism and communism, but by conceding to its virtues within the American state. He saved America by protecting the concept of democracy in the hearts and minds of the millions of Americans that had at that point been betrayed by it, through his introduction of the, the New Deal. Now, Winston Churchill once wrote of Roosevelt, his impulse is one which makes towards the fuller life of the masses of the people in every land, and which, as it glows the brighter, may well eclipse both the lurid flames of German Nordic self-assertion and the baleful unnatural lights which are diffused from Soviet Russia. Now what Churchill is saying is that Roosevelt defended the American way of life from the threat of Germany and Russia by ensuring that the American people believed in the American way of life. And history teaches us that it worked. Now, the parallels for our time are countless. Our generation has barely awoken from a crippling global financial crisis that already saw the people of countless liberal democracies question the value of their institutions. Now the second hammer of a global pandemic and its accompanying economic catastrophe will challenge the spine of our belief system like never before. European democracies have become infected with religious nationalism. Hungary has fallen into dictatorship. Poland nervously balances on the precipice. Turkey has long since been lost. 
The once mighty democracies of Brazil and India are now existentially challenged by the existence of cult presidents. What do all these nations have in common? Not one has suffered its fate. Not one is experiencing this, its current duress as a consequence of a foreign army. This is not to say that the challenge to our democracy comes purely from within. Let's be real. There are dark forces out there that have a vested interest in the dismantling of our democratic institutions. Think about the people that maintain power in, in China, Russia, or even Saudi Arabia. Now, one of the crucial pillars to their domestic control and power is displaying to their people the inherent failures of our democratic systems. Nothing expresses this more profoundly than the genuine voices within our system voicing their discontent. Russian and Chinese global news services consciously work to propagate the failings and divisions within Western society, shining a spotlight on the missteps of multiculturalism, fanning the flames of an ease around the concepts of gender and sexuality, and, and right now in particular, encouraging the suspicion of established science. Think about it. The institutions of US democracy withstood the near constant threat of military conflict from a global military superpower for decades, but yet in a few short years saw its rule of law, its division of powers, its heralded democratic norms, all brought to its greatest historical challenge, in no small part as a result of a Russian social media campaign that cost a little over $150 million. Now, Russia still controls its sphere of influence amongst the former Soviet states, not through its military muscle, but by controlling their political system. The mutual goals of dictators to, to ward off notions of democracy that threaten their power means there's an alliance of necessity. Make no mistake of it, the dictatorial regimes of the world would be individually stronger if the annoying beacons of liberal democratic success stories were extinguished. And our democracy will come under unprecedented threat in the coming decades. But this threat will not avail itself as a military force upon our shores. It will be the foreign exploitation of internal discontent. Now, we can all continue to fight the war against misinformation. Indeed, it's a war I spend much of my time fighting. But if we are to truly defend democracy in the coming years, we must invest in the product of democracy. We cannot shield the ears of Australians who will be bombarded with conspiracy theories and fake news. But we can work to make the reality of democracy impervious to its goals. Australia has for years invested in its national security by maintaining a small but effective military force that is useful, both politically and militarily, to the USA. In return, we have enjoyed the protection of their nuclear umbrella. And for years, this, this made complete sense. The threat of geographical annexation was very real, and it was the responsibility of every Australian Prime Minister to defend our small nation from these threats. But now our ruling class must ask... What defence will our 12 hidden submarines provide our nation from an increasingly assertive Chinese regime? If Australia was ever to fall, if it was ever to become a vassal state of this new Chinese empire, it will not be as a result of a Chinese military invasion. It will be through the gradual, gradual dismantling of our state from within. Now, as I said at the start of this video, we do need to start investing in the defence of this country. But we also need to start understanding what investing in the defence of this country means. The USA and Western Europe defended the hearts and minds of its people from the allure of fascism and communism by investing in the virtues of democracy. We must do this again. It was the welfare state, not a heartless capitalist one, that built the wealth of our people. And we cannot silence the voices of the discontent. We must seek to ease their discontent. 
for our nation's vulnerable minds to be immune from foreign exploitation. Their love for our institutions must be organic and, and derived from their own lived experience. If you want to ensure the Australian people will never be tricked into giving up our nation, you must ensure that their experience in this nation is simply too good to surrender. If, if we can find billions to invest in military infrastructure that really would be little more than a speed bump to the Chinese People's Liberation Army, surely we can find money to build the real bulwarks of our democracy. To inoculate the Australian people from the threat within, we must permit them to become shareholders in the nation's success. We have to invest billions in education, health and, and the welfare of our most vulnerable. The wealth in our economy must be tasted by workers at all levels. Because billionaires will not save this country from any foreign threat. But their billions could, if they were appropriately distributed across our society. Now, this country is about to be rebuilt, and there are many that are queuing up to make it a more ruthless capitalist competitor. And I'm here to tell you that there is so much more at stake. If we don't take a step towards the humane, if we don't invest in what Churchill called the fuller life of the masses, then no military force our nation can muster will be strong enough to protect us.